We're going to start today with um, perhaps one of the most difficult passages in the whole Bible. It's not difficult to understand, but it is difficult to wrestle with. If you don't have a Bible with you, please get one because we'll be visiting a few different passages this morning. Today we're asking the question, what is a Christian? What makes a person a Christian? And is it possible for a person to believe they are a Christian, but they're actually not one? Is it possible for someone to be deceived into believing they are a Christian? A few years ago, I believed I was all right as a tennis player. I had some lessons when I was young and I'd have a hit every once in a while. At least I thought I was good enough that my little sister wouldn't have a chance playing against me. She'd been playing throughout school and she'd trained and had lessons, but I was bigger, stronger, faster. I'd have no problem, I thought. It turned out a bit differently when we started rallying. Now, we didn't play a full game, mind you, but after a few rallies, it was clear that over the last five years, she developed into quite a decent tennis player. And some of her forehands were nearly as powerful as mine, despite being a lot smaller than me. A few more rallies in, I'd keep hitting my shots long. It made me realize that tennis is not about who's bigger, stronger, and faster, but who can keep hitting the ball over the net within the court for longer than the other person. With her years of practice and training, my sister had gotten better than me at this, better at, at this than me. Uh, she was able to control her shots much better than I could. The only way I could win the rallies comfortably was to use her lack of height against her, to hit big, long, looping shots that bounced so high she couldn't reach them. Against someone my size, but with her technique, I wouldn't have stood a chance. I realised that I was not that good as a tennis player. One of the most confronting passages to look at when asking the question, what is a Christian, is in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Jesus is teaching a crowd from the start of chapter 5, and among his teaching he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What is Jesus saying here? That there are some who will call Jesus Lord will call themselves Christians and will do some of the things he notes, prophesy, cast out demons, but they don't know Jesus. This is a pressing question because it determines whether we belong to Jesus or not. What does it mean to know Jesus? What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who has accepted the gospel in their heart. Now, what is the gospel? You might have heard before that the gospel or sorry, that gospel means good news. And we call the books of the Bible that are about the person and work of Jesus, the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A great summary of the gospel is in 1 Corinthians 15, verses one through five. Now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance which, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. The gospel is the good news that God exists, that he is powerful and holy, and he created us to be in relationship with him. We rebelled against God and we sinned against him. That sin has separated us from him. And a just and holy God must judge the sin we've committed. Our rebellion against God is such an affront to God, such an offence to God, that we, as the rebels, are unable to reconcile ourselves to God through living a perfect life because we're unable to do so. But Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, lived a perfect life and died for your sins so that if you believe in him and entrust your salvation on Jesus, you will be holy and blameless in the eyes of God. At home, I grow some veggies and herbs and I have a pot with um, oregano in it. Just oregano, there should be a photo coming up on the screen now. That was grown from seeds, which is pretty amazing because oregano seeds are so small. If I had an oregano seed in my hand like this, it'd probably fall between the gaps in my fingers. So those are seedlings uh, and you can't really notice it, but in that pot when they're seedlings, some of that is not oregano. I wasn't really sure which was oregano and which wasn't. So what I did was I just watered the seedlings, I fertilized them, and I waited for the plants to grow. Once they're bigger, you can see which is oregano. It has a beautiful smell. Like I think I would wear oregano cologne if it existed. In fact, the, uh, the root of oregano is the Greek word oros, meaning mountain, and ganos, meaning joy. So, joy of the mountain. I clip some of the leaves, put them in a pot of bolognese, or on top of a pizza, or as a garnish raw, it's delicious, it's good for you, um, it's high in antioxidants, it's got antibacterial and anti-inflammatory properties. I try to look after the oregano as best I can. But once the plants are bigger, you can tell which are not oregano. They have different shaped leaves and they don't have the same aroma. The ones that are not oregano are weeds. The weeds, I pull them out of the soil by their roots and I throw them away. So you might say, I'm a Christian because I've accepted the gospel in my heart and I know that because I prayed a prayer the day I became a Christian. And yes, that might be true, but I would suggest to you that if your evidence for your salvation is the day you became a Christian, that would be like saying you're an oregano plant because you were once a seed. Yes, it might be true, but an oregano seed, as small as it is, will grow to a plant in time. An oregano seed does not remain a seed. It grows into a plant with a beautiful aroma, the green leaves, the pleasant taste. It becomes the joy of the mountain. The seed becomes a plant and bears fruit. The same is true for the gospel. Once it is planted in our heart, it changes our hearts and it changes us. We bear spiritual fruit. So what does the gospel do in our heart? It doesn't take what's already there and add to it or tweak it. One of the things it does in our hearts is that it cuts. That's why this message is called the gospel, a double-edged sword, because I believe it cuts in two ways. Number one, a greater conviction of sinfulness and a greater understanding of the holiness of God. And number two, repentance from sin and a desire to live a holy life. 
A person who has accepted the gospel in their hearts has a growing understanding of the tragedy of their own sin and of the holiness of God. The world would tell you that God sends good people to heaven, that all you have to do is to be a good person, and even if God even exists in the first place, he'll see you're a good person and you'll go to heaven. You might have been told that people who go to church and have a morality largely based on biblical teaching are the ones who go to heaven. Or maybe you've heard that people who do lots of great things for the church are the ones who go to heaven. There are many reasons people might give for why they believe they will go to heaven. But if it's any reason that relies on our good works, they go against the truth found in the Bible. Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Psalm 53, 3 says, There is none who does good, not even one. In Luke 11:13, when Jesus is teaching his own disciples how to pray and to pray to God and ask him things in prayer because he's a good father, what does he say? Does he say, if you then, who are good people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What about if you then, who are much better than others, know how to give good gifts to your children? No, he says, if you then, who are evil. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of our sin is death. We don't deserve for God to love us. Who is God? And who are we? We are wicked. We are evil. We practice lawlessness. We deserve a just God to judge our crimes against him. We deserve his wrath. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve hell. The gospel in our hearts reveals to us once and, and continually that without Christ, we are at enmity with God, that we are fallen, broken, and in need of God to redeem us. And a true Christian's ongoing battle with sin in their life and the ongoing revelation of their own weakness in contrast to a holy God in contrast to a sinless Christ. This is, the, this is one way that the gospel cuts at the heart of the one who's accepted it. So that's the first way. The second is repentance from sin and a desire to live a holy life. A true Christian will have a growing desire to repent of sin and to live a holy life. In fact, God has told us that he will use the Holy Spirit to do this. The biblical term for this is sanctification. The Bible is clear that a true Christian will be sanctified. They will repent of their sin and will strive to live holy lives. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Colossians 1, 9 through 11 says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will throughout all, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, 
so that you may have an endurance and patience. So you may have great endurance and patience. When we accept the gospel and we accept Jesus as our saviour from our sin, we are justified in front of God. We receive the righteousness of Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. That's Ephesians 2. But a Christian who's saved by God from their sin is also sanctified by God from their sin. Sanctification is not a once and for all thing, but a process. This means that a Christian will still sin because they're not perfect. But the difference is that they will strive not to sin. And when they do, there will be sorrow over their sin and they will come to God asking for forgiveness and with a desire to repent from that sin. You may have heard this illustration before, but imagine if you were in a house that was on fire. This house is burning down and you're surrounded by flame and smoke and you try to make your way out of the house. But the smoke fills your lungs and your eyes and you're too weak to make it out yourself. You're gonna die in this fire. When all of a sudden someone comes into the house, they grab you and they pull you out of the house. That person has saved you from certain death. After they pull you out of the fire, they're a bit thirsty and they ask you to get them a bottle of water. Do you get them the bottle of water? Why or why not? I believe there are three responses you could have to this request in the same way that there are three responses to the gospel that Jesus offers us. Number one, compensation. Number two, license. And number three, gratitude. You might try and compensate the guy. He's just saved you from the fire. If he's asking for the bottle of water, you better get him that bottle of water. <laughs> How silly is this one? How is someone getting someone a bottle of water who's risked their life to save you from a fire going to repay them? What kind of payment is that? If someone ran a business risking their lives to save people from fires and their payment was a bottle of water, that'd be, that'd be the kind of business that people would laugh at on Shark Tank. You don't go around saving people's lives and risking your own for just a bottle of water. And you can't repay the person who saved you with something as small as that. Or you might say no to the guy's request for a bottle of water. He saved your life, but now you have more life to live. You can go do things you couldn't do if you died in that fire. Maybe you should just go and do whatever you want. That's what the guy who saved you would want, right? He'd want you to live the life, live life the way you want and do whatever you want to do. Even if you did stuff to hurt yourself and hurt others, he saved you from that fire so you could live a life the way you want. The only real biblical one is gratitude. We don't live as God wants us to live to compensate him for, for saving us. Because anything we do is next to nothing compared to what, is God, what God has done for us. And we don't receive God's grace and then use it as an excuse to do whatever we want. We live holy lives for God out of gratitude to him. We live our lives God's way out of gratitude to him. And when we sin, we ask God for forgiveness and we strive not to sin that way in the future. We may even set things up in our life to prevent ourselves from sinning that way again in the future. So a true Christian with the help of the Holy Spirit 
will continually repent from their sin and there will be a growing desire in that Christian to live a holy life. What does that mean to repent of our sin? The root of all sin is pride. You've probably heard that before. It's hardly a groundbreaking statement. But what should be said more often is the spiritual conclusion, which is that the root of repentance is humility. The gospel humbles us and that we are saved from our sin. So we turn away from our sin and we turn to God. Repentance in the Greek is metanoia, which literally means a change of mind. We choose God instead of sin. Out of God's love for us, we are compelled to repent and turn to him. This is why it's so important to talk about the holiness of God, because the holiness of God does not retract from the love of God. On the contrary, it magnifies it. Why? People often think that God's love and his holiness are mutually exclusive, or that talking about God's holiness detracts from talking about God's love when the opposite is true. The opposite is true. There is a spiritual danger to only talking, singing, praying, preaching on the love of God without talking about the holiness of God. I'm not saying we should not speak about the love of God, but that we must look at the full scope of God's character. What is the danger? What happens to the human heart when this happens? God loves me. God's so enamored with me. I'm special in God's eyes. I can do things, I can do all things in God who strengthens me. These are all still true, by the way. But if we do not hold God's love and his holiness, his mercy and our sin, we can become proud. And we can use God's love as an excuse to live the sinful lives that God has saved us from. We can be like the proverb quoted in 2 Peter 2:22. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. When we dwell on God's holiness and our evil, we see that God loves us, not because of us, but in spite of us. Isn't that a greater love? Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, although perhaps, perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is that not a greater love that God in a holiness that I will never fully comprehend this side of heaven loves a sinner who has done evil I will never fully understand. Yes, the gospel reveals to us that God loves us but it is a love that is richer, fuller and more wonderful than the one who has no need for God's love could ever understand. We'll finish with what Jesus says in Luke 5. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance.